Take your Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter 21 and chapter 22. Revelation chapters 21 and 22. As we've stated early in this series of messages uh, on heaven, we talked about taking a journey, talking about going on a trip. Anytime you go to someplace new, usually you prepare ahead of time, you study about where you're going, and you want to be prepared for whatever uh, you may need as far as taking clothes and eating and just a number of things, lodging, all kinds of things come in your mind, run through your mind as you are preparing for a, a, a new destination, a place you've never been before. And so it should be when, we, when you think about heaven because we're on a journey. We're only, we're like Hebrews. We're just, we're just passing through this world. That's what the word Hebrew means. We're just a, a pilgrim that is passing through and to our ultimate home, which is, uh, is, uh, which is heaven itself. Now, in the scripture, we read in Romans, or excuse me, we read in John chapter 14, we read where Jesus was calming the disciples after he had instituted the Lord's Supper. He was talking about leaving. He, had, he talked about being betrayed. And uh, in John chapter 14, he said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many mansions. If we were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Notice the phrase, I go to prepare a place for you. Now remember a few weeks ago, so we started this series, we talked about three heavens. We talked about the first heaven, when we leave uh, this place of worship, we can look in the sky, that's the first heaven, where the clouds are, where the birds are. And the second heaven, that's where the sun, the moon, the stars, that's where our atmosphere, the universe, is. That would be the second heaven. The third heaven, Paul describes for us in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, we also call that paradise. But the scripture says, I go to prepare a place for you. At the moment of your death, if we go into the presence of God, and that's called paradise, what is this place he's talking about? I go to prepare a place for you. What's wrong with paradise? What's wrong where, where God is right now? Well, that's what we want to talk about this morning, because there's going to be a new place that God is preparing for us. If you want to call it the fourth heaven, you can call it the fourth heaven. But where God is right now is just an intermediate place. It's called paradise. It's where we go the moment we die. We can begin to enjoy the presence of God. Just like hell right now is only an intermediate place. Revelation 20 tells us that there will be the second resurrection, the resurrection of the dead of the unrighteous. They will be brought before God in the great white throne judgment, and then they will be cast into the lake of fire for the rest of eternity. So the present hell, where they are already suffering, the unrighteous are already suffering, but it's just an intermediate place. It's a holding place. Ultimately, those unbelievers will be cast into the lake of fire. So here we want to talk this morning about where Jesus is right now. He is constructing something for us. He's constructing something for us that is new. I'm going to prepare a place for you. In Philippians chapter 1, Paul says, For to me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Now, this is after he had had this appearance of the third heaven. He was given a glimpse of heaven. But because of what he saw, he was thinking, 
I wish I could leave right now. I wish I could go into the very presence of God. But he said to live for Christ here is advantageous for you and me. Because he was writing letters, he was church planting, he was doing all these wonderful things as, as, as a missionary. But he wished he could go on and be in the presence of God. He said, to die is gain. That's how we need to look at heaven, our destination. It is something to gain in our life. He would also say in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I have not seen, neither ear hath heard, neither has it entered into the mind of man what God has prepared for those that love him. But he goes on in verse 10 and says, but through his spirit he reveals such things to us. I know we wish we knew more about heaven, but we have all that we need right now. We have all that we need that will carry us through. If we knew any more about him, if we knew it all, we would be so dissatisfied with this life. We would really be dissatisfied with this life. And we would fail to accomplish the mission of bringing as many people along with us to heaven that we could. So this morning, let's look, first of all, at the new Jerusalem, or the new heavens and the new earth. That's our first point we want to make this morning. The new heaven and the new earth. Your Bibles are open to Revelation chapter 21. Look with me in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Do you realize that this is actually, when it says, I saw the new heaven and new earth, for the old ones had passed away, do you realize this was actually prophecy? I, I didn't put it in your notes, but you can write it in your notes. Isaiah 60. Isaiah 60, the great prophet, actually predicted what we're reading about today, Isaiah 60, though he did not mention a new heaven and new earth. Later in Isaiah 65, the prophet would say, see, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind, 2 Peter 3.13. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. In Genesis 1 and 2, we have the first creation of the heavens and the earth. Now, Revelation 21, 22, the last two books of the Bible compared to the first two chapters of the Bible. We now have two chapters that talk about this recreation of our world and of the heavens. We're going to have a new heavens. We've already had a first heaven, a second heaven, a third heaven. But there's going to be this fourth heaven. He's going to renew. He's going to renovate. He's going to restore He's, he's, he is changing what, what has been as we have known in this world. But he also says there's going to be a new earth as well. This world that we know has all the markings and the evidence of sin. But there's going to be a time when all the earth will be new as well. In Romans 8.22 it says this world groans. You say, well, how does this world groans? Every time we have a tornado. Every time we have a hurricane, every time we have floods, any disturbance in, in our weather patterns, the, the, just, this, this, just the earth itself, it's groaning because it shows the evidence of the curse of sin on it as well. But the Bible says there's going to be a new earth as well. All of this is going to be purged and made pure and clean once again in the presence of God. It will be new, meaning it will be rejuvenated. It will be regenerated. It, the Bible tells us that the first heaven and the first earth will pass away. 
That word pass away in the Greek means it's going to be changed in position or place or in kind. So it's going to be changed is what John was trying to say. He peers uh, through his vision and to, to see what it's going to look like. And what he sees is something totally new. The old has passed away, meaning it has changed and there is something new that he is looking at. I want you to think of Noah for just a moment. In the Old Testament, we read about Noah and the flood. And we know that the world was destroyed because of the flood. But was earth destroyed? No, earth was never destroyed. Only the surface was destroyed. The people were killed. Landscape changed. Culture was destroyed at that particular time. But the earth still existed after the flood. In 2 Peter, uh, we read in chapter 3 about a cleansing fire that's going to purge this world. It's going to happen at the great white throne judgment. Revelation 20, 11 talks about that heaven and earth fled. And in chapter 21, we, we have John saying, I saw this new heaven and the new earth. What we know in this world will perish, but the earth will not perish itself. Let me liken it to another illustration, not just Noah and the destruction of the world by a flood, but the earth still existed. I want you to look at me for a moment. This body, who I am, has been tainted by sin. And when I invited Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior, I was regenerated. I was made over. I was transformed. I look the same on the outside, but on the inside, I have a new heart. Jeremiah 31 talks about this. I have been transformed on the inside. One day, I will be transformed, changed on the outside at the great resurrection when Jesus raptures the church. But until this that time, this body will disintegrate in a grave someplace. But God is going to raise up something new. Just like we saw in Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross, was buried in the tomb, he rose again the third day. There was something new about Jesus. The essence of Jesus was the same, but they saw something totally different on the outside. It's going to be the same for you and me. What God has done for each of us in Jesus Christ, he's going to do to this world. He's going to make everything new. It is still going to be the existence of the world, the earth itself, and the heavens, but he's going to remake it all, no evidence of the curse at all. Now I want you to notice some things that will not exist. We'll come back to verses 2 and 3 in a moment, but look at some things that will not be in this new heaven and new earth. Notice in verse 1, he said, there was no longer any sea. There's no longer any sea. Now remember, when John wrote the book of Revelation, he's on the island of Patmos. He's there in the Mediterranean Sea. He's on a very small island. It's a prison island. It's where they took prisoners. And he's had to work. He probably lived in a, in a cave, is what we imagine that he lived in. And he's writing this, this, uh, the book of Revelation. He's been given this vision but can you imagine his heart was torn because he was away from his wife. He was away from all the other believers and family members. He was separated by a sea. And so he says, in this vision he saw, there's no longer any separation. All families and friends are going to be together. 
It also implies that maybe there's not going to be any uh, separation of lands by sea. And it also for sure is a symbol of what the, uh, the, the, the mythology of that day, believing that in the sea were all these sea monsters and all the evilness, the dragons and everything uh, that took uh, uh, the sea serpents that were in the sea of, uh, that they imagined at that time, all that is going to be done away with. In other words, there will be nothing that will frighten us in heaven. There will be no more sea. Notice in verse 4, there will be no more tears. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Today we have tears, do we not? When we lose family members, when we have crises that we go through, we, we will shed tears when there's pain of bitterness and anger, when there's disagreement amongst friends. We may shed tears when we uh, hear sad stories, but all of that will be wiped away. He goes on to say there'll be no more death. No more death to take our loved ones away from us. No more, no more, no more mourning, sorrow. Did you feel the sorrow for this police officer that was shot at Houston and killed yesterday? And come to find out his wife had just delivered their second child. Just delivered a second child. It brought sorrow to my heart when I heard some of the details about this, about this man. A 30-year-old and leaving a wife and, and the two children. Sorrow. It also says there that not only the mourning, but the crying. The pain. The, the pain we go through when we have chronic illnesses. The pain we go through when we have a, a, a bad health report. The pain we go through at loss, financial losses and crisis. And when our loved ones have to go through some terrible experiences. But it says, but the old order of things has passed away. All those things will be done away with. In verse 5 he says, and he who sits seated on the throne said, I will make everything new. A few years ago when I started the, to preach funerals it really came to me this this thing where it says i will make everything new i, I was reminded of my grandmother uh, during the the summers before sixth seventh eighth grade worked on the my sister and i worked on my grandparents farm in south georgia and i can remember my grandmother who she worked as hard as any man that i that i could see at that particular time she she worked hard and because of all that hard labor I saw my grandmother age quicker than, say, the, the normal aging process, being out in the sun, the heavy lifting, all these kind of things that she did along with my, my grandfather. And I got to thinking about that. God says, I'm going to make all things new. I've seen the beautiful pictures of my beautiful grandmother in her younger days. But to think that God is going to make everything new for us. He goes on, and in verse 8, and he says, but the cowardly, probably talking about those who refused to accept Christ because they were afraid of what their family was going to say. They were afraid what their friends were going to say, what the boss was going to say. The cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts. And by the way, that phrase magic arts, the Greek word there is the word we get pharmaceuticals from. It's probably talking about drugs. Those who are involved in a a drug culture the, the idolaters and all liars they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur this is the second death these people 
will not be in heaven. Go over to, to verse 27 where he says, Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful. Those people will be eliminated from heaven as well. They will not have any part in this new heaven and this new earth. Then John changes the narrative beginning in verse 9. He's been kind of general, talking about this new heaven and the new earth. It's going to be regenerated and renovated and restored. And now he gets somewhat specific about it. He talks about the holy city, the new Jerusalem. And that's why I wanted you to see this video this morning. Just a reminder of this new Jerusalem, the new capital city of our God. Notice back in verse 5. It's uh, verse 2. It says that she is prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. This holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down of heaven. But prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I understand there was a wedding here yesterday. And I've been privileged to be a part of, of 342 weddings. I have never seen an ugly bride. <laughs> never seen an ugly bride. And I'm sure that was true yesterday. To see the bride and I, being up on the platform, I get to see, normally get to see before the rest of the congregation, sometimes before the, even the, 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 the groom gets to see the bride, I get to see her. Beautiful. There's something about a bride. She probably would be no more beautiful in her life than on her wedding day. It's a beautiful, beautiful sight. And here it says this, the holy city, the new Jerusalem, the new capital of God is going to come down. It's going to be a special event as God sets up his capital city here on earth for himself and for his people. In Revelation 18, it talked about Babylon of the Old Testament and how it was built by those who were defiant, those who would blaspheme God. But here in chapter 21 and 22, we have a new city that reflects the glory of the Lamb of God. A new heavenly capital city of God. The new Jerusalem. Some people have, have uh, maybe been misled thinking it, it, when it says the new holy city is going to come down, they think it's just going to hover over the earth. No. I believe it's going to land right here in this world. It's going to land in the area of Israel. And it's going to be a beautiful, beautiful sight. And it is a city. A few weeks ago, Brother Micah read for us from, from Hebrews chapter 11. Listen to the verses again. For he was looking, talking about Abraham, looking forward to this city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. A few verses later, Abraham was, it would be stated of him that he was looking for a country, a better country. And God was preparing a city for him. Abraham was sojourning. He was looking for that country. He was looking for that city. While he didn't find it here on earth, he will find it one day as Revelation 21 and 22 comes to pass. Now let's look at three aspects of this holy city, the new Jerusalem. First, let's look at the outside of the city. Let's look at the outside of the city of the city beginning in verse 9 through 21 and it has three parts the first part of it is the vision notice in verse 9 this scripture says one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of seven last plagues came and said to me come I will show you the bride 
the wife of the lamb. That's talking about the church. And verse 10, And he carried me away into the Spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. So first of all, there is this vision of a physical city that is going to be coming down. What Jesus has been preparing for all of these centuries is eventually going to come down. And just like we have a physical body and we have physical cities, remember the resurrected body also has the total resemblance of the physical because that's what Jesus was like when he appeared to the disciples and those 40 days before his ascension, we can assume that we're going to have the same thing and that we are going to need a place to stay. He says, there are many rooms, many mansions in my Father's house. I'm preparing all of this for you. And so this is what John is seeing, something that is physical, a city. 15 times in chapters 21 and 22, you find the word city. W.A. Criswell, longtime pastor of First Baptist Dallas. This is what he had to say in his classic book on the book of Revelation. He said, as for me, I like the prospects of our home being forever on this earth. I would not look forward to God sentencing me out on some planet a hundred million miles away that I know nothing about. I like almost everything here. And when you read about heaven, you get the impression, though it is unimaginable much of what is the description, you do get an idea that it is familiar because it's going to be heaven on earth. Therefore, it will be familiar to us. Notice in verse 11, he goes on to say, It shone with the glory of God, and His brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel like jasper. And the word jasper here is actually a diamond clear as crystal it had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates on the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of israel notice who the greeters are angels are the greeters at the gates as we're going to enter into this new jerusalem this holy city and it says that it has the, the names of, of all of, the, of, these, of the, these patriarchs and the 12 tribes of Israel. And this represents all the Old Testament believers, all those previous to Jesus' death on the cross. Then verse 13, there were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, three on the west. This is a sign of completion. Sign of completion. It's a sign that anyone can enter any direction they're going to be able to come into the holy city, the new Jerusalem. Verse 14, the wall of the city had 12 foundations, meaning it's not temporary. It's, it has good foundations, 12 of them, it says. And on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the, of the Lamb. Again, the believers from the time of the cross Till Jesus comes again. All the believers, the righteous who have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so here we have the, the vision on the outside. But then we see the size of it. Not only the vision, but let's look at the size of this new Jerusalem beginning in verse 15. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure this city, its gates and its walls. The city was laid out like a square 
as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide and high as it is long. That is 14,000 miles. This is a cube. 14,000 the length, 14,000 the width. The depth, 14,000 miles is what he is saying there uh, in that verse, in verse verse 16. Let, let me help you understand and, and just to use your imagination for just a moment, if you can, can imagine something this, this large. But 14,000 each way, this perfect cube is going to come down the New Jerusalem, the holy city of God. Just the floor of it, the space, will be 2 million cubic feet or square feet. 2 million square feet. And, or square miles, excuse me, square miles. In New York City right now, it's only 302 square miles. But you can take the holy city, this new Jerusalem, and set it down in the United States, and it will be the distance as it is from the Can uh, Canada to, uh, to the Gulf, and then from the Appalachian Mountains all the way to California. You can set this, the holy city, the new Jerusalem, down in it. And notice the height of it. The height of it is, again, 14,000 miles. Now, you know, the average skyscraper, the, the average floor length for a sky, skyscraper is 12 feet. And you take the uh, One World Trade Center, that's 104 floors, all right? So if you look at the 1,400 miles... That, that is 660,000 floors. Now, we don't know how heaven is, uh, is going to be divided there. We don't know how the new, new Jerusalem, this holy city of God, we're not sure how it's going to be, but the levels, but I want you to think about it, it's going to have room for all of us. Someone has said that, uh, and again, just trying to think it out, that let's say if there have been 20 billion Christians in all of history, 20 billion, uh, billion truly saved children of God. And if there was 660,000 floors or levels, that means every one of us could have 75 acres and be by ourselves on 75 acres. In other words, that's plenty of room for all of us if that's how it's going to be. If that is what Jesus is preparing for us and if it's on level to level. Just think about the size of something like that that could take care of at least 20 billion people giving us each 75 acres of land. He goes on in verse 17 and uh, he says, the angel measured the wall using human measurements and it was 144 cubits thick. That means the walls are about 72 yards thick. That's almost three quarters of a football field, just the walls in itself. And then we move on, beginning in verse 18, and we see the materials that are in it. The wall was made of jasper, again a diamond, and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third uh, agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth ruby, the seventh uh, crystallite, the eighth beryl, the, the ninth topaz, the tenth uh, turquoise, the, the eleventh uh, uh, jaxion, and the twelfth amethyst. In verse 12, and the, the gates, the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Uh, so each gate was made of a single pearl. 
I mean, can you imagine how beautiful this is? All proportion, all, all symmetrical, just the beauty of what God has prepared through his son Jesus Christ for us in this new Jerusalem, the holy city of God. Well, that's the outside. Let's look at the inside, beginning the second part of verse 21. What about the inside? The great street of the city was of gold, as pure as transparent glass. I mean, we talk about the streets of gold. This is described here, verse 22. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Here, another thing that's not going to be their temple won't need to be a temple. Don't need a place like the Jews had with all the altars and the sacrifices and all the priests. We're in the presence of God. This, this city is a worship center. It is the sanctuary. It is where we are in God's presence and we'll be worshiping on a regular basis. Verse 23, the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives its light and the lamb is its lamp. A place where it will always be lit. Verse 24, the nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. Some of us uh, are, remember singing in choir a song, no more day, no more night. This is where it comes from. The gates don't have to be shut. Last night when you went to bed, you made sure your doors were shut and your doors were locked. This church is locked up at night because we have to worry about thieves. We have to worry about people breaking in your house, even God's house. But there we won't have to. We'll have all these gates, but they'll always be open because all the bad people are in hell. They have been thrown into the lake of fire. He goes on to express that uh, in, in verse 26 uh, as well. The glory and the honor of the nations will be brought in to it. There will be great peace in this new Jerusalem. Now let's look at the provisions beginning in chapter 22 uh, verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. Here you have the, the, the main street is of gold, but you're also going to have this river flowing out of the throne of God. It's the river of life he says, and on each side, verse 2, on each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Notice it says the tree of life. This is just a generic term for the trees that are going to be lined up on each side. You can't have the tree of life on both sides if it's singular. So it has to be multiple trees that are lined up on each side of the river. And it's getting its water, its nourishment from that river. And then each month, it, they, they're fruit trees because there's going to be a different fruit every month that we're going to be able to eat from. Remember, there's going to be eating in heaven. Jesus ate with the disciples there in the upper room that evening. Jesus prepared a meal for the disciples by the Sea of Galilee shortly before his ascension into heaven. We talk about the marriage feast of the Lamb that we're going to be participating in. In heaven, there's going to be eating. It's a sign of the fellowship that we're going to be having in the presence of God. And notice in verse 3, 
No longer will there be any curse. Because everything has been made new. Now we'll come back to the rest of verse 3 and 4 in a moment. But go to verse 5. For there will be no more night. Again, he's emphasizing just how that we're going to be in the presence of God. All this beautiful light and the presence and shining, the glory, the reflection of God and His Son. There will not need to be the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. Now let's conclude this for just a moment by going back to chapter 21. And follow with me in beginning in verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and He will dwell with them, and they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. And then back to chapter 22, uh, beginning in the middle of verse uh, verse 3, He says, and the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. This is why we believe that the scripture is stating something physical. God's going to come down. He's going to bring his holy city, the new Jerusalem. It's the capital, the new capital of God. God's going to come and dwell with us. Right now, he's up there. He's in paradise, the third heaven. But now he's going to come down. It's going to be heaven on earth. He's going to come down and worship with us. This is how much God loves you and me. This is the restoration of the Garden of Eden. Remember Adam and Eve. He walked with them in the cool of the evening. He's always wanted fellowship. That's why he created us, was for fellowship with him. We see it in the Garden of Eden. We see it in the patriarchs. We see it in Israel. We see it with the church. That he wants to walk with us and reside with us. And for all eternity, all eternity, he is going to be with us. We will be in his presence. Notice verse 4. And they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. Remember the Old Testament? You couldn't look upon God. No one could look upon God in the Old Testament. They would die. But now we're going to be able to see him face to face. Micah chose some beautiful songs for us to sing today that reminded us of that truth. Face to face with our God and with our Savior. Face to face. You know, heaven is going to be beautiful. It's hard for us to imagine how how big the holy city, the New Jerusalem, is going to be. And by the way, this is just the holy city, the New Jerusalem, the capital. This is not the rest of the world. He's renovating the rest of creation. We're going to get to see the rest of the world as well. You may not get to go to Hawaii in this lifetime, but you're going to get to go to Hawaii in eternity. Or you want to go to someplace else in this world. In fact, it's not beyond our imagination. We may get to travel to Mars and travel other places in the universe. I mean, fathom that. This is just, this is just the capital city that he's preparing for us. He's renovating everything else as well so that we will be able to enjoy and explore throughout all eternity. And it is beautiful. The gold, the diamonds, the pearls, all the things we've read about today, the gold streets, the the beautiful trees, the tree of life, and what's that going to look like? All of those, the light, all that's going to be amazing. But the most important thing 
is face to face. It's not what is going to be in heaven. It's who is in heaven. I've been blessed to be on a number of mission trips. I've taught many conferences here in our state. Uh, Ridgecrest, Ridgecrest North. Uh, been able to be in various associations and teach and away from my wife and away from my children. And I'll tell you what, coming home from all those trips, you didn't see me kissing my bed, kissing the microwave, kissing that or whatever. It wasn't the things I missed. It was the people I missed. And I made sure I laid a good Hollywood-type kiss on my wife. All right? <laughs> Because that's what home, that's what home was about. Home was about who was there, not the things. And in heaven, it's not the things, it's who. And that's our God, His Son, our family and our friends, and all the new people we're going to meet. Would you bow with me? Your heads are bowed and eyes are, eyes are closed. The new heaven, the new earth, heaven on earth, the holy city, fit for our great God. Massive in size, scope, materials, and he and the lamb deserve the best. And we will reign with him forever. But let me remind you, no matter what happens here on this earth, before we enter into eternity, I want you to know we, we have hope. Because the greatest days of our life, the greatest joys of our life, the greatest thrills of our souls are still ahead. Because we're going to be face to face with our God and our Savior. I didn't read the last part of verse 27 in chapter 21, but it said, Only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life are going to be able to enjoy this new heaven and new earth and the new Jerusalem, the holy city. So I asked you, is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your name's there. But if you are yet to become a Christ follower, a believer, your name's not in that book. And I implore you, after hearing all this description and what God has prepared for us, back in chapter 21, he talked about drinking from the, from the spring, the water of life. That's Jesus. Will you drink of the living water, our Lord Jesus Christ, so that you too may be found in the Lamb's book of life, so that you too can enjoy all the the beauty of what we have described today, and most importantly, coming face to face with Jesus and with our great God. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. Thank you just for the description. We wish we had more words. We wish, Father, we had the pictures. All we have is our imagination of what it is going to be. But thank you for what we do have, the hope that we have that one day that the things that we have enjoyed in this life are going to be so much better there. And Father, it's not really going to be the things that are in heaven. It's going to be who is there. You and your son, our family, our friends. 
and other believers. May we never forget that. So, Father, if there's someone who needs to make a commitment to Christ, may this be the day they come to know Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.